0: Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We get the same-
1: Welcome back to Forged in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Rob Verhelst, better known as Fireman Rob. Today, I have a great guest for you. This man is amazing. Inspiring speaker, doesn't even say enough. He's the first person to ever survive cancer, have a heart transplant, and then finish an Ironman. I'm just going to end it right there for right now, and then we're going (laughs) to get into the conversation. My guest is Derek Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: My pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, your story is is an amazing story of resilience and strength and with an overriding purpose. And I want to go back. I want to get all the pieces of it because I think the listeners have to hear the whole thing to understand it. Because a lot of times people, you got to do Iron Man Kona, correct? Yes. And it was 2015? 15, yeah. Yes. All right. And a lot of people will see the story, but they get to see the surface of it. And your story is so much bigger than that. So why don't you take me back to, I love when you talked about who you were before your diagnosis with cancer. Take me back to who was that, Derek?
2: Wow, a completely different person than I am today, that's for sure. I was a guy focused on his career. I was diagnosed with cancer when I turned 30. So I had just gotten married a little bit prior to that, and then... I was just focused on building a career and working. You have some background on me, but I had this motto that I used to say back in the day, which was I wanted to work hard enough, long enough to make enough money to be able to do all the things in life that money can't buy. Wow. And that was my rationalization for putting off life. Yeah. And it was a stupid, stupid motto. So if anyone else out there has their goal being set firmly on making a lot of cash, coming out of school, making a lot of cash, be sure you're living your life.
1: And I love the quote that you have on your website. And Also, for those who are listening, if you want to have somebody come in and speak to you, that's amazing. Derek is one of those guys. You can go to recycledmanspeaks.com and find out more about Derek and, and how to get him at your next event because impact is what you have driven. And it's interesting. you say in, One of these statements, you said, today, I'm someone that my old self couldn't possibly imagine. (laughs) That's a bold statement to make, because like what you're talking about, you are not the person you are today. Now, go into, you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, correct? Correct, yes. And what year was that?
2: That was 2003.
1: So what was your mindset after, because you were younger. So what was your mindset once you heard that diagnosis?
2: Well, yeah, I was 30 years old, and uh, it scared the crap out of me, basically. You know, anytime you wake up from surgery and you think it's an outpatient surgery, you're going to be in and out in a a few hours. I mean, they literally woke me up during this exploratory surgery to find I'd had some bleeding issues when I went to the bathroom, and we knew that wasn't normal. But they would spent eight months trying to figure out what that was and they were unable to do it. I was a, I was heavier, I was just over 200 pounds, and so my weight was hiding a tumor the size of a grapefruit in my intestine. So I wake up from this exploratory surgery to find out why I'm bleeding every two weeks when I go to the bathroom, and the doctors are, they formed a, a little half moon around my bed, and then my family's in this little half moon, and it just takes the legs out, From underneath you, and I had to do it in front of my family, and I I had to do it in front of all these doctors. And I certainly would have appreciated some time to myself to kind of gather my thoughts, but there I was, and they're the words where they knew before I woke up from surgery that I had cancer. Right. And so I'm very much a matter-of-fact kind of guy. Like I asked them what the next step was. And so I was gonna put my head down, put my nose to the grindstone, and keep pushing forward. But because of the way it was presented to me, I don't know that I fully accepted it at that moment. It didn't really sink in. Right. I had been cut open, severed my abdominals, and I had to learn to walk again. But I was already thinking, "Well, what do I have to do to get back to work?" <laughs> and so I keep telling people I'm stubborn Irish. And uh,
1: <laughs> so at this time, you were still searching for. You still thought going back to work was your what was going to find you that happiness, that success, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. This was a speed bump cancer as far as I was concerned at the time. I really didn't appreciate the situation I was in. I didn't appreciate the seriousness. And yeah, I just wanted to get back to work. Now, I got out of that surgery and they said, hey, listen, we're going to give you chemotherapy, but you've got to get strong enough to withstand that kind of punishment. Right. So we're going to put you in physical rehabilitation so you can learn to walk again. And then we're going to put you through chemo. You know, five months of chemo.
1: And let's put at this point. I want to make sure that people understand. At this point, you had not even done a 5K, correct, in your life. Yeah, correct. In your life,
2: correct. In my life, yeah. Growing up, I had a a swimming pool in my backyard, and I was a champion belly flopper and cannonballer. Oh,
1: that's impressive.
2: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, I had never learned swimming techniques. I played soccer growing up as a kid and up through high school. That was it. I had my little dirt bike, or, or my wife keeps telling me I'm saying it wrong, but you know, just a, a little bicycle right. that I would pull around on in the neighborhood, and that was it. Going through college, going through my 20s until I hit 30, I was completely out of shape. I did no exercise, no activity, and correct, going into my cancer diagnosis, I had never done a 5K.
1: And so they're now putting you in physical therapy so that you're healthy enough or deemed healthy enough to do chemotherapy. And chemotherapy, for those who don't know, is my dad went through chemotherapy, too. And it takes everything out of you. What did you feel when you went through that? It was six months of chemotherapy, right?
2: Yeah, five months. Five months, okay.
1: How did that tear you down both mentally and physically?
2: Well, at the time, I was working professionally in pharma big pharma and healthcare, the majority of my clients were oncologists, but I had no personal connection to cancer. It was just a job. And then I walked into my first chemotherapy session and it was, they had these lazy boy, barca lounger kind of <laughs> things all set up in a row and everybody's getting something from an IV drip. I looked at them and I thought, man, they look sick. So it took me a while to realize that I looked just as sick as they did but I was still focused on getting back to work. I just wanted to sit down, forget about this crap that I was going through and make another call, figure something out on the computer and and so basically I sat down there and over the course of 5 months it's a humbling experience because you get the people sitting next to you week after week and you get to know folks. Right. And so many times I think now it's become something that we see on social media or something, when someone finishes their chemotherapy and they're declared in remission, they go and ring this bell. We didn't have any bell in this oncologist's office, but you could see the people getting better and you could see when they were declared in remission, you could see their families really excited and as they should be. And then you also get to know people that they're one week and they're not there the next. And you know that they weren't declared in remission. You see the decline and you're talking to them and and you're pulling for each other saying, you're going to make it. You're going to do this. We just have to get over this hump. You're going to make it. And they don't. And so you see people not surviving it. And it's humbling.
1: Right. You said beginning a new journey is often a humbling experience. But to begin, no matter how simple, is a victory in and of itself. And that was the start of this long journey for you to change who you were as a person. And You went through that chemotherapy, your cancer treatments ended in May of 2004, is that correct?
2: That is correct, yes.
1: And then what happened? Three months later, what happened?
2: So I was walking to work and there was a small hill from where I parked my car to where I got up to my office building and I got halfway up the hill and I started wheezing and I got dizzy and that was the first sign of what was to come when i would get dizzy it would last for all of 30 seconds and i would just find a place to sit and i describe it as being knocked out in the 12th round of a heavyweight fight and so all those rocky analogies <laughs> they're good ones they're good ones you know i would let the wooziness pass and then i'd get up and i'd keep moving it was tough to breathe but it would pass and finally I was asleep one night, had one of these episodes, and it scared me enough to think, well, maybe something happened with the cancer. Maybe the cancer's not gone. Okay. And so for several months, I would go to these late-night ER trips, and they got pretty routine. So I became less and less alarmed every time I went in because first they treated me for pneumonia. Then they treated me for pleurisy. Then they they treated me for all these things, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to get better now. And finally, I go in and this new doctor starts doing tests on me. And he says, it's it's like 3 a.m. And for the first couple of months, I was married to a woman at the time. And she would go in with me and sit next to me. And, you know, we talked through the night. My parents used to go in with me at the very first. And it had been so often that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the the hospital now. I'm going to go to the ER. I'm going to you know, make sure everything's okay. But you stay here. This new doctor sits by my bedside, and he says, uh, Derek, and it's only been at this point, it's not even a year since I finished chemo. As you know, it was probably four or five months, maybe six months after I was declared a remission. Right. And he says, uh, Derek, I know you had a rough year with cancer, but I'm afraid I got some more bad news. You're in heart failure. One of the drugs in your chemo regimen, I would imagine, damaged your heart, and you are in heart failure. So if there's anybody you want to call, you might want to do that now.
1: Wow. And that's just after you've fought an uphill battle with cancer, now you're yeah. given this information. And at this point, your mindset is what?
2: My mindset is, all right, let's strap back in. What's the next yeah. step? And I would get into that zone, just fighting and Sometimes fighting is just being able to take one step forward. You block out everything else that's going on. You block out everything that could happen. And you just say, all right, give me one thing to focus on. I'm going to do that thing. So
1: Now, when you will go through heart failure, now the next step was to you needed a new heart. So I worked in organ donation for the University of Wisconsin, and it is one of the most amazing things. I want to give you a second here or a minute here, whatever it is, to tell us about organ donation, because this is the next part of your story that really hit me. I chills right now thinking about it because it is something that each of us can do. It's the most selfless gift that anybody can do in their lifetime because they never get to see the results. And so I want you to speak on, you received a heart. I just want you to talk on that process, because I think that is so important for people to understand is that That orange dot on your license or that donor sticker on your license is so much bigger. It's you. You're sitting here talking to us today because somebody chose that. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, you're right. The next part of my journey was a heart transplant, but initially they thought they were going to be able to just use medications and diet and exercise to help me feel better. It took seven years to get bad enough even though I was in heart failure, it took seven years to get to the point where they could put me on the transplant waiting list. And a lot of people have this impression out there, not everybody, but there's a misconception in the world that people who are waiting for a life-saving transplant did something to deserve the position they're in. (laughs) And I had cancer. I could have been anybody it could have happened to anyone and the cancer treatments that saved my life from cancer killed my heart. Yeah, And so there I was over the course of seven years. First, it was 30 seconds of dizziness. And over seven years, it was 24 hours a day, sleeping 23 hours a day, closing my eyes to go to sleep at night and not knowing if I was going to open my eyes again for seven years. And that takes a mental toll and that takes a physical toll. and at a certain point, I knew that there was There's going to come a point where someone else was going to have to die in order for me to live.
1: Crazy thought.
2: So when you do sign up to be an organ donor, listen, the hope is that you never have to think about that for 50, 60, 70, 80 years in the future. But for those 50 to 80 years in the future that you carry that that designation on your license, You are a hero. That's hero status in my book. (laughs) Yeah. So I am alive because someone chose to save the life of a complete stranger. I'm alive because on somebody's worst and last day, they chose to save the life of someone else. And that's huge.
1: I love the statement that you made. It's up to me to earn it. It's up to me every day to earn this gift that I've been given. That's an amazingly powerful statement for you to make. And what did you mean by that? What did you feel by getting that gift of a heart?
2: Well, the basic economics of the situation is that as long as you have insurance that'll cover it, insurance can pay for a heart transplant. I saw the bills. They were well over a million dollars. That's huge in and of itself, but I'm just paying an insurance premium. There's nothing that says I've earned what this generous and selfless gift from this other person. And it's up to me to live in such a way that honors this person and the gift they gave. It's my job. You know, this person, I still see as living. A small portion of their legacy is still beating in my chest. Two people were going to die that day.
1: Right.
2: I got their heart. And so now both of us keep going. I keep saying I'm the chassis, they're the engine. <laughs> I love it. I get to walk. Around, but I wouldn't be here without this other person beating in my chest. I'm no longer just me, I'm us. I'm a we. And I know that my family and friends prayed for me to to get better. And I know there was another family praying around this other person's bedside on their last day as well. And I know that I am not what they prayed for. So, what I get to do in talking to you. And swimming, biking and running and doing all these amazing things that I never ever believed in a million years that I'd get to be able to do is to honor this person in the way I live and honor this person in the things that I do for other people from here on out. It.
1: And you took that to another level in 2013 by starting your own foundation, the Recycled Man Foundation. You want to tell us a little more about that?
2: Sure. Being someone who was chronically ill, I saw too many people go through their health challenges, get to the other side in health. They survive these things, but then they don't pick themselves up. They don't get moving. And the life that they're leading after going through all these struggles to stay alive, listen, life is great. Life is amazing. But if it is what you make of it, and if you don't get moving, if you're injured and you're not able to get back on your feet and get moving, sitting in a... Barca Lounger, Lazy Boy, watching daytime courtroom dramas, which is where mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be. No, ain't worth it.
1: It's not enough good uh, courtroom dramas, you
2: know. Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> Judge Judy's great. I think she's phenomenal. But come on, I mean, getting up, living life, being able to walk around the lake. I mean, and it's certainly not Iron Man. I don't expect or want everybody to get hit by a car and then get up and go do an Iron Man. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's going out with your friends, and walking around a lake with your dog, and finding that person you love and grabbing them around the waist and pulling them close and giving them a great big kiss. These things are what make life worth living. And so, in the process of living a chronically ill life for so long, I saw so many people get to the other side and get back to health, but then. They've got to take meds and they've got to eat eat a special diet or they've got to do these things that allow them to stay healthy, but they feel broken. They don't feel like it's worth it and they give up. And not much longer after that, they don't survive. And so it's a shame. It's sad. It's about fixing yourself physically, but it's about fixing yourself mentally as well. I sat down with a geriatric oncologist. And I was seeing all these things going on around me at work again. I was interviewing this geriatric oncologist and the question was posed to this doctor. How do you define old age? And he said, well, if you go to the social security administration, <laughs> you can look it up and they say you're 65 years or older, you're considered old. He said, but in my practice, it's more of a functional issue. So when people come to see me in my office, I ask them to sit in a chair and then I ask them to stand up and walk 10 feet across the room. And the longer it takes them to do that, the shorter their lives. Period. It's not just a physical thing. It's when you limit yourself to that Barca lounger and you give up on everything, you're giving up on first your health but then you're giving up on those emotional ties that keep you tied to life. When you don't have that, you start to forget to be compliant with your meds. So it's just a downward spiral. And the Recycled Man Foundation's goal is to help people get up and get moving after some kind of significant health challenge, whether it's cancer or a transplant or a car wreck or PTSD or whatever it is. These things are all significant. These things all impact and affect us. And it's our job to pick each other up and get moving and reconnect. And what's the best back way somebody life. can
1: reach out to you to find out more about this? If they're dealing with something like that and they feel like, that is the end for them, and they don't have that ability or the support network, but want to reach out to you more about this. How can they find out more?
2: We have a website, uh, recycledman.com. You, they, we can also be reached through our Facebook page, Recycled Man Foundation. And so, Recycled Man is a theme in a lot of what I do. So, you said Recycled Man speaks earlier, and that's the speaking jobs that I do. But yeah, if you go to recycledman.com or Recycled Man Foundation, on Facebook and Instagram. That's fantastic. Now we continue
1: on with your story. Now, Derek, when you you beat cancer, you got a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. You had never been that active in your life. And now (laughs) every start line that you've been on, and how many start lines is that for to date? Uh, In the hundreds at this point. So in 2013, you set out to do something that nobody else had ever done. At Iron Man Lake Placid. Yeah. What was that? Right.
2: (laughs) Well, I've got this buddy, Kyle Garlett. He was featured on some of the Kona broadcasts, I think 2007, 2009, 2011, around that time. He was a cancer-surviving heart transplant recipient attempting Kona. And he has this phenomenal story. Obviously, a lot of similarities between his story and mine. But the first time he went through all the cameras were following, you know, you (laughs) know what that's like. And yeah, and he comes out of the water and doesn't realize it, but he missed the cutoff by seven seconds coming out of the water. Yep. And the official steps in front of his way, says your day's over. He's, he just collapses crying when he realizes what happened. So they invite him back the next year and he makes it through the water, gets onto his bike, gets about 10 miles into the bike. Pulls over to the side of the road because he's feeling a little woozy. And that was it. That was his day. Medical came by, they took his blood pressure and they said, You're not going back in there.
1: Just so you know, not everybody's an Iron Man, but it's a 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike, followed by a 26.2 mile run. So continue with your story while everybody picks up their jaws.
2: (laughs) So Kyle had attempted two years in a row. He was the most qualified. He set the standard upon which I said, you know what? I'll give that a go. So 2012, I went up and volunteered at Ironman Lake Placid to see what it was like in person. And from 11 to midnight in 2012, I was sitting on next to the high school. The Olympic Oval is where the finish line is. And Mike Riley is, of course, the announcer, the voice of Ironman. He's <laughs> waving the rally towel underneath the, ar- the finish line arch and the, the music's pumping, and we're seeing all these people cross the finish line, and it's getting close to midnight. And so Mike says, he's on his microphone, and he's blaring through the stadium and through the little town of Lake Placid. It's like, all right, everybody. Our spotters tell me there's one guy that could possibly finish this race at this point. He's, he's coming in. He's tired. He's hurting. His name's Bill. I know he can hear us. I need everybody to let Bill know that we're here and and to cheer him in. So he starts this chant, (laughs) Bill, 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 people are stomping on the stadium stands uh, seats. And, and all of a sudden Bill kind of enters the Olympic oval from the far side. And all he has to do is that half turn to come to the near side of that oval. And he's bent over and he's staggering. And People are chanting, Bill. People lose their mind when they see him come into the oval. And he gets a quarter turn and he collapses. And everyone's like, oh. And we're looking at the clock and we're like, can he make it? Can he make it? Mike Riley gets back on the mic. He's like, all right, everybody. Bill can do this. Come on, Bill. 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 He gets up on his feet, staggers to his feet. He makes it another quarter turn around this oval. How far
1: is he from the finish he now?
2: again. Probably 50 yards, 30 yards. 140.57 <laughs> miles at that point. And so he's trying to get up on his feet. It's like watching Rocky again yeah. because he's trying to get up on the ropes. He's trying to get up on his feet. They start counting the 10 second clock, 10, nine, <laughs> come on, Bill, eight, seven. And so he staggers another couple yards and he falls short, like wow. 10 feet from the finish line. And, everybody just goes on oh, the, the air lets out of the whole stadium and he's on his hands and knees 10 feet from the finish and mike riley picks up the mic again and he says all right everybody we know that officially bill may not have finished this race but we know in our hearts that bill's an iron man come on everybody bill bill And he starts to chant again andy potts who won that race that year and bill's coach get out there on either side of bill they hook their arms underneath his armpits And they pick him up and they're both taller than Bill. (laughs) So his feet are dangling, scraping the track and he crosses the finish line. The crowd goes wild. They lose their mind. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs after midnight. I called my tri coach and I said, all right, coach, sorry to bother you at midnight, but I'm doing this. I don't care what it takes. I'm doing it. So that was July of 2012. July of 2013, I came back and my biggest accomplishment was getting to the starting line because I had no no idea if I'd finish. I knew that no one had ever finished. Anyone like me had ever finished. And I knew it was the longest of long shots. I mean, Lake Placid has the Adirondacks. It's a hilly course. And I was two and a half years out of a heart transplant. So I gave it my best shot. And it was an honor to be able to carry my donor's heart 140.6 miles to that finish line. I didn't believe it was going to happen until it actually did, until I crossed that finish line, because that famous slogan from Iron Man cuts both ways, and anything is truly possible. So until I actually finished, I refused to believe, and then I crossed that finish line. And it was an exclamation point, a recovery that Mm -hmm. was improbable. It's an exclamation point on the
1: ability Um, to persevere. I mean, through countless challenges, through countless obstacles, You are a great role model for individuals to look at, and a lot of people sometimes get nervous when people say this, but about the ability for you to be able to persevere through these huge obstacles, I think people can take away the things that you talk about, the things that you've done, and apply them to their lives and go, you know what, I can do this too. It's not minimizing anybody else's stuff or anything like that. It's saying, you know what, we have the abilities as humans to persevere, and you have showed that through and through by being that that Iron Man, by being that motivator and being that philanthropist to be able to help people. I appreciate you so much being on the show today. I always end my shows. I'm going to have you on again, because there's more stories that I need to get out of you, Derek. (laughs) But you know, you got to leave the listeners wanting more, and they got to go to your website, If you want Derek to come and tell you more stories, I'm not going to give all the stories away on on this podcast. You can go to recycledmanspeaks.com. He'd be a great asset for any event that you have or any group that needs to get some motivation to get out there. But I end every single podcast the same way here, Derek. I've got three questions, and then we have a rapid round. There's no right or wrong answers. That's the best part. (laughs) You're trying to go ahead of the ball here now. (laughs) Now you're all motivated. All right, here we go. First question is, What is one thing you haven't done, but is outside your comfort zone? I love it. Jumping out of an airplane. And and is that going to happen? All right. I'm going to hold you to that and everybody else will too. And you need to make sure to post those pictures on your uh, Facebook and Instagram. Here's the second one. Here's the second one is your favorite quote and why.
2: Mm. Henry Ford, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're probably right. I love that one.
1: I love that and it speaks exactly to your whole premise of who you are. I love it. All right, third one. This is the hardest one. This one always gets some great answers. So if you could pick to have coffee with three other okay. people, they can be deceased or alive at a firehouse coffee table. So in other words, nothing is off the table when you're talking at a, at a firehouse. Who would it be and why? <laughs> wow. I,
2: yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's a thought is, problem, a but it, I
1: like to spur it on you because then it's, you don't have time to think about it. Living or dead.
2: Right. Is this living or dead? Living or dead. Okay. I'm a movie maker from, from way back. So George Lucas, be just because I want to know what's going through his mind and what was going through his mind That's when he started one. the whole Star Wars thing. I think, I mean, man, you you want to come up and say all these profound people that, that left such an impact on the world. I mean, I, mean, I want to say Gandhi because he just seems well, like a cool <laughs> dude to hang out with. But I'll go with Gandhi.
1: Yep. For my
2: number two. I think he's a solid number two. (laughs) Solid. Yeah. (laughs) And because it, it, all joking aside, I think that's a phenomenal human being. And then third, I would go with my great grandfather because there's a lot of mystery and history in my family tree that I'd love to know more about.
1: That is a good three pairing right there. I like it. All right. Here we go. Here's the rapid (laughs) round. All I'm going to do is I'm going (laughs) to give you two things. All you got to say is one of them. Pretty easy. All right, here we go. Ready? All right, okay. paper or plastic? Oh. Soup or salad? Paper. McDonald's or Taco uh, Bell? Soup. Camping or hotel? <laughs>
2: I'm <an> immune <immunosuppressed> to <laughs> transport. <laughs> say hotel. you like
1: staying in a hotel. Fly or <laughs> drive? <laughs> Sleep in late or wake up early? Uh, drive. Oh, man. Run or walk? Wake up early. Partly sunny or partly cloudy? Run. Fire or water? Partly sunny. There you go. This is always the the Water. interesting one. Use a porta potty or continue to drive or run to the next physical bathroom.
2: <laughs> All right.
1: There you go. I'm but I thought you couldn't potty. stay outside. <laughs> All right. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> and then go Coke, big or go uh, home. Pepsi. All right. Derek Fitzgerald, this has been a fantastic conversation. I definitely will have you on again. If you want to find out more about Derek, go to RecycledManSpeaks.com or go to RecycledMan.com to find out more about this man's amazing adventures and what he can bring to you. Thanks again for being on the show, Derek. I appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks for listening.
2: Likewise. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.